We open it up for another week, another edition of the Midday Program on the Rural Radio Network. And we are assembling our folks to get us up to speed on what we can expect on the program for today. And uh, let's start it off as we normally do. Let's go to the Ag Headlines. Jesse Harding is here. Typically, it's not too busy on a Saturday for us in the farm department. (laughs) That was not true this time. Correct. Markets are closed. Government's closed. So it tends not to be too terribly busy over the weekend for the farm department. Not true this last weekend because Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue made a visit to us here in the great beef state of Mm -hmm. Nebraska to Senator Deb Fisher's ranch where they had a round table with ranchers talking about the current economy and USDA and those sorts of things. So for the 1213, the Nebraska Director of Agriculture, Greg Eyeball, was also in attendance at that meeting and he discusses with Susan Littlefield some unique opportunities thanks to the Department of Agriculture that Nebraska beef exports have from here in Nebraska. So we'll get a little bit of that at the 1213. For the 1219, Joe Gangwish is going to be joined with Mike Zuzlo talking about the markets and what they are doing today. For the newsmaker, it's a lot of beef of Nebraska today. Uh, you know, it's due. <laughs> it's due. It's a big, big industry. It is. And I am joined with Adam Wagner. He's the director of marketing with the Nebraska Beef Council, and they hosted a beef experience tour a couple weeks ago, and that's when they have different chefs, dietitians, bloggers, food service professionals who don't know that much about the beef industry to come and tour and see what it's all about here in Nebraska. So we'll discuss that. That took place a couple weeks ago. And then for the 117, Susan's going to have some more from Sunny Purdue's visit. Okay. We'll look forward to it all. And this gives me the opportunity to ask Jason Jorgensen, where's the beef? Well, beef's <laughs> wherever you can find it. <laughs> <laughs> On the barbecue, hopefully. Yes. Yeah. Hey, the Husker baseball team's got a lot to celebrate. They claim their first Big Ten Conference crown since 2005 over the weekend. That's a pretty beefy accomplishment. Yeah, and they did it in uh, in a beefy way, if you will, beating up on Penn State 21-3 on Saturday. Now, the Huskers would not have won it had they not gotten some help from Purdue, who ended up winning a couple of games from Minnesota. And ironically enough, Nebraska now plays Purdue in the first round of the Big Ten tournament. Well, that's ir- ironic, isn't it? it? A little bit. It's funny how things uh, work out that way. Coming up, we'll hear from Coach Darren Erstad. They held a teleconference this morning to get his thoughts about the big accomplishment and moving forward. He says the Huskers are still hungry. They don't want this to be the high point of the season. And remember last year, they were playing pretty good baseball at the end of the regular season when they ended up second. Then Omaha was hosting the Big Ten Conference Tournament, and it was two and barbecue for the Huskers. Speaking of beef, as they didn't play very well, and they were out of the tournament before it even started. So they they could use a couple of wins. They're into the NCAA Tournament, but their RPI number is just a 41. So if they were to win a couple of games here, it might push them into the 30s. That would help with seeding for the NCAA Tournament. Coach seems to know exactly what to say to that team. He does. It's worked worked out this spring. really has. He's very good. Bob Brogan on business. Stocks are broadly higher. Uh, the Supreme Court has rejected a challenge to MI business tax and China's business online retailer to test delivery drones. And that would be kind of a bad deal if you're on uh, a two-way and you say, oops, while your <laughs> drone is delivering something that weighs about 10 tons. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I don't think we want to go there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's a little ways off for many of us. Uh, anyway, we're going to be checking in on all of those stories and more today on Midday. Paul Perkins is in. I want to thank you very much for bringing some sunshine and yeah. uh, dealing with my uh, my solar uh, ad, whatever that is. Your vitamin D deficiency. That's the one. It got cured. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's not going to stay around for all that long. No. Uh, continued periods of showers and thunderstorms on the way. Uh, another wave expected to dive southeast today. Already seen that. Increase in cloud cover over northwest and north-central Nebraska right now, especially from O'Neill down to Stapleton and Ogallala. And also a little bit of light rain with those clouds towards north-central Nebraska, towards Valentine and Ainsworth, and also towards the Scotts Bluff area. That cloud cover today increasing in advance of a cold front. Thunderstorms expected along that front this afternoon. That main line of development expected to be from Osceola to Hastings and Alma. Then those storms will slide southeast through the evening. A few marginally severe storms are possible with some quarter-size hail and some uh, gusty winds up to around 60 miles per hour possible, but not expecting a big severe outbreak with this system, just maybe a marginal risk of some severe thunderstorms. Tomorrow looks to be our coolest of the next seven days behind this cold front. With some strong winds out of the north, a weak disturbance may kick up some rain for tomorrow. Wednesday and most of Thursday, still looking dry as the slow-moving area of low pressure exits the region. Chances for thunderstorms start to return by Thursday evening with a quick system. The timing should keep the initial severe threat across western Nebraska and Kansas. It's likely that we'll see a cluster of thunderstorms move through central Nebraska and Kansas late Thursday night. Friday looks to be dry, but another system will bring a chance for some thunderstorms late Friday night into Saturday morning. Thunderstorm chances remain in the forecast for Saturday and Sunday, but a little more uncertainty as to their exact timing. Now, in our long-term forecast, temperatures for Nebraska and Kansas predicted to be cooler than normal this weekend through the first four days of June. So Memorial Weekend, always kind of a non-settled pirate, it seems to be. And it looks like that will be the case this year. Some cooler than normal temperatures through the first four days of June. And for reference, in central Nebraska, daytime highs usually average in the upper half of the 70s through that time period, with overnight lows on average in the low 50s during late May and early June. There is been a slight change to more precipitation in our long-term forecast. Nebraska and Kansas now forecast to see slightly above normal precipitation the entire time of this weekend through the first four days of June. Soil temperatures at the four-inch depth at seven this morning in the upper 40s to low 50s in much of Nebraska. Extreme southern Nebraska into Kansas, so soil temperatures in the mid to upper 50s. Weather factors driving the market trade today include continued below normal temperatures and moderate to heavy rain across the Midwest and a developing hot and dry trend in China. Producers monitoring the winter wheat and emerged summer crops in areas such as central and west Nebraska that experienced a freeze yesterday morning. It did get down to 30 yesterday morning in North Platte, Thedford, Valentine, and Alliance. Hayes in Kansas was the chilliest, and for their chilliest in Kansas at 35. The week before this freeze, 32% of Nebraska's winter wheat was actually headed. Now, in the next several days, a series of disturbances will spin across the south, east, and lower Midwest to maintain cool, rainy conditions. Five-day rain totals could reach another one to two inches from the central and eastern Corn Belt into the northeast. Corn and soybean planting in the Midwest continues to be stymied. The soft red winter wheat now also having some stress and disease concern from the wet pattern. Wet conditions in the southern plains also unfavorable for the wheat recovering from the cold and snow last month. 
Temperatures in the northern plains will warm this week to benefit corn and soybean planting and development. Rain in the Delta is also stressing some areas with wet and flooded fields. Now it's the opposite in key growing areas of northeast China where it was warm to hot late last week. Dryness is a concern in the western growing areas. There was significant rain this last weekend over previously dry areas of China's western corn and soybean belt. The Ag Weather with Paul brought to you by Kuhlman Repair today. And uh, I don't know, I think back, you know, a couple of months ago when we were getting those summer-like 80s and stuff. Yeah. It's a shame we couldn't split the difference with it now. Yeah, no kidding. And maybe bankroll some of this rain that we're getting for, you know, the usual dry period that we tend to see mid-July. A little bit later on. All right. Well, you stay with, of uh, course, uh, your rural radio network stations for the latest in weather information as it becomes available and when you need weather. Weather at any second of the day. KRBN.com. Taking a look at agriculture information on the Roll Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. Some exciting market potential for Nebraska beef comes from a year of behind the scenes work from the Nebraska Department of Agriculture. Susan Littlefield has more. A quick trip to Belgium last week for Director of Agriculture Greg Ibaugh is turning out to be good news for beef producers in the state as he met with a company called Metro. It's similar to a Costco here in the States. Yes, we actually got some very good news while we were with Metro that uh, they had, uh, we, we met them a year ago. This t- We were in a year ago May, we were in uh, Europe and met them. We've worked this whole year, brought them to the Nebraska, told them the Nebraska beef story. They tried the product in a limited number of their stores, I think four in the European Union, and now they are going to make it available in all their stores. So we're very excited about the market potential and the market power they have and what that might mean for beef from Nebraska. The discussions took a year, according to IBA. That included telling them why Nebraska beef is different from other countries and inviting them to come look at Nebraska beef firsthand. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Grand Island's one was once home to one of the largest livestock markets in the county. Chabella Guzman has more. A horse and mule market once made Grand Island an important hotspot in America. Co-founder and author of the American Doorstop Project, Jody Lamp, has written about the sale and Grand Island, among other Nebraska communities, in her new book, A History of Nebraska, A Life Worth Living. What people don't understand or realize is that Grand Island was once home of the world's largest horse and mule markets. So... The whole world came to Grand Island at one point, but all these things that happened in Grand Island really touched the entire state and the United States. So we're really excited for people to learn more that in central Nebraska, you really were a part of something so big that people from around the world came to Nebraska in the early 1900s to be a part of these horse and mule markets. An official launch of the new book will be on June 7th from 7.30 to 9 a.m. at Borders Inn and Suites in Grand Island. And the event is sponsored by the Hall County Historical Society and Borders Inn Suites. To RSVP for a free breakfast, call 308-384-5150. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. Despite a push by farm organizations to double the budgets for a pair of USDA export programs, a leaked copy of the Trump administration's proposed budget zeroes out funding for both programs.
programs. The White House is expected to release President Donald Trump's budget proposal tomorrow for fiscal year 2018. The plan will recommend Congress cut a broad array of domestic programs, which includes programs farmers rely on for trade, conservation, and possibly even commodity programs. John Doggett, Executive Vice President for the Policy at National Corn Growers Association, says groups across the political spectrum will be looking at the budget for the White House's overall priorities for the year to come. In March, the White House released a skinny budget calling for a $4.7 billion cut to USDA, which is a 21% cut to the department's discretionary budget. The March budget proposal called for $54 billion in overall cuts in domestic programs, most of which are then shifted to increase defense spending and fund the president's plan for a border wall with Mexico. That's been a look at agriculture information. For more, you can find it anytime by visiting rollradio.com. For the Roll Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. We're back on midday here on the Roll Radio Network. Let's get the thoughts from Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics on our market situation today. Mike, everybody uh, watching the weather, kind of the bullseye is uh, Illinois, is that right, in this weather situation? Yeah, you know, Joe, when you look at a 30-day map of precipitation, the whole southern half of Illinois has had 10 or more inches of rain, and that snakes into uh, a lot of the southern half of Indiana and obviously the southern half of Missouri. But you're right, Illinois is really where it's at. And I would say that your state is starting to garner more attention as well because of the systems last week. I think they came in. They put down more rainfall than the models were expecting. They hung around longer than the models were expecting. And they're coming back around and starting to give us more rainfall. And I don't think either the market or the models were expecting that. And, you know, nowadays that's almost, they almost go hand in hand. We butted up against some resistance on that July and December corn. Uh, came back down lower. I, I don't know. It seems kind of hard to, for us to break that resistance today. Yeah, the, the big number is 396, and in fact, I wrote to clients in my weekend newsletter that it's been 11 months in a row since December corn has been able to close above $4 on a monthly basis. The last time we spent this much time below $4 was back in 2005, 2006. So if we can climb above 396 on a closing basis, I think it'll be relatively easy to retake the $4 handle, Joe, and I say that because of how long we've been down below it. It's a big number, and I think it's a great number to use in a risk management mindset to give an idea of whether the market is really starting to get nervous about the ending stocks for this coming year. And I think this is where, if we go above $4, will the demand then start to matter again? We came in with weekly export inspections across the board on the top end of trade ranges. Corn is still running an unbelievable 52% above last year's marketing year and year-to-date inspections. And, again, USDA only has us up about 17%. It's a big, big number. We're talking hundreds of millions of bushels above what USDA expects in this marketing year for exports. When we talk about the corn replant situations, how does that fit in with the soybeans now looking forward? I think this is where your spread is starting to work already. In other words, the December corn has gained to the point against the November beans the last few days to where that spread is now in relationship to no beans to these corn is down at 2.42. 
that is down the levels not seen since a year ago, back in June, May, June of last year. And I think we can go below 2.42, go down to maybe even below 2.4 with the idea that I had a client call me today from West Central Illinois, and he said my insurance adjuster was out there, and he asked me if there was a bass tournament this week. And so this is the kind of thing we're talking about in Illinois. We're going to move to beans. There's no way around it in some parts of Illinois and Indiana. Yeah, you probably saw the video, too, of a gentleman wakeboarding in Nebraska on exactly. one of his visits. Exactly, and that's what's garnering the market attention. I think Illinois and Nebraska, and then they are two huge corn states. And, you know, keep in mind, the market understands you folks irrigate a lot, but that doesn't do you any good right now. Yeah. Quick 10-second uh, comment on wheat. It's wet in the wheat belt, too. It is, and this is where wheat's giving us support, and the demand is giving us support. You know, one thing we have right now is the crude and the dollar spread is adding support in the wheat, in the corn, to this supply-demand weather issue. It's been a while since we've been able to pair those things up. Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics. Go to globalanalytics.biz for more information. This is Midday. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check some sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, it was a title that was 12 years in the making, but Nebraska claimed the Big Ten Championship over the weekend by taking two out of three from Penn State. It's Nebraska's first conference title in baseball since winning the Big 12 Championship back in 2005, and head coach Darren Erstad says it was a long time in coming. Much to the guys, uh, you know, just seeing their, their faces and looking them in the eyes uh, in the locker room and the joy that they had, and, and you know, just I'm excited they got to experience that because they'll have that moment for the rest of their lives together. This this group will have that. So 10 years from now, 20 years from now, they'll they'll be able to, you know, relive that. And, and it's, it's special when you get to be a part of a team. And you as the top seed in the upcoming Big Ten tournament this week, they'll take on Purdue Wednesday afternoon at 4 central time in Indianapolis. Now, the Huskers could use a couple of wins this week. Despite winning the regular season league title, they're only ranked 41st in the RPI rankings, which are used to seed the NCAA tournament. Cleveland Cavaliers' NBA record-tying playoff winning streak is over. The Celtics put a stop to it yesterday with an improbable victory just hours after announcing their top player is done for the year. Cavaliers had won 13 straight until Avery Bradley nailed a three-pointer with less than one second left to give the Celtics a 111-108 win. The shot bounced off the rim four times before it fell through, and that pulls the Celtics within two games to one in the series. His bucket also capped a gritty comeback after Boston fell behind by 21 in the third quarter, and they did it without Isaiah Thomas, who's been ruled out for the remainder of the postseason due to a hip injury. Minnesota Vikings head coach Mike Zimmer will be taking some time away from the team to recover from multiple eye surgeries. The Vikings say they hope he can return in a couple of weeks. Zimmer has undergone eight surgeries on his right eye where he suffered an attached retina on November 1st. He reported the latest surgery last week and said he wasn't sure if he'd need more. The Vikings are about to start off-season workouts. And Novak Djokovic is joining forces with Andre Agassi in an effort to return to the top spot in the world rankings. Djokovic announced over the weekend that Agassi will coach him at the French Open, which starts this upcoming weekend. The second-ranked Djokovic split with his longtime coach earlier this year at the start of the month. That is a look at sports. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Chance of thunderstorm statewide tonight with a chance of showers in the southeast after midnight. I'm Dave Schroeder. 
The Kearney Volunteer Fire Department was dispatched to a structure fire at Baldwin Filters this morning. Upon arrival, they found light smoke coming from the top of the manufacturing plant. Firefighters accessed the roof and found heavy fire conditions in a small metal structure that was located on the roof of the plant. Firefighters made entry and extinguished the fire. The fire was contained inside of that structure. All contents and equipment that was inside the structure was a total loss. The cause of that fire is under investigation by the Nebraska State Fire Marshal's Office. A 46-year-old Norfolk man has been accused of wire fraud related to a construction scam. Court records show Bradley Leffers faces seven counts. Federal prosecutors say Leffers operated a business under the name of Rockland Steel Buildings from 2013 through 2014. Court documents say Leffers made agreements with at least 14 customers to construct metal buildings on the customers' properties. He took down payments and partial payments from them, saying the money would be used to buy building materials. Prosecutors say Leffers didn't buy the materials and instead used the nearly $509,000 for himself. Kansas legislators plan to resume negotiations over raising income taxes to fix the Kansas budget and provide additional funds for public schools. House and Senate negotiators were meeting today. Both chambers scheduled afternoon sessions to allow them to take up any plan emerging from the talks. Kansas faces a projected budget shortfalls totaling $887 million through 2019, and the Kansas Supreme Court ruled in March that Kansas's funding for its public schools is inadequate. The Kansas Highway Patrol says one person was killed and seven others injured when a driver hit a bull standing on the highway. The patrol says 66-year-old Alma Bencomo of Dodge City died after her vehicle hit the bull Saturday on U.S. Highway 40, about 26 miles east of Dodge City. Five people in her car and two others in a second vehicle were injured. Whether you missed the game or need to replay that on-air interview, catch up with a podcast at krvn.com. In the News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Taking place a couple of weeks ago was a unique opportunity, not only for Nebraska beef producers, but also for those who are wanting to learn more about it. For the World Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. With us is Adam Wagner. He is the Director of Marketing with the Nebraska Beef Council. The council is able to host the Beef Experience Tour. So why don't you tell us what that is, Adam? Well, uh, we've been doing this tour for probably about 10 years now. And what we really try to do is is give uh, some folks that maybe don't live in an area where they're uh, really readily accessible to agriculture and specifically the beef industry and just give them that opportunity to see firsthand how beef is raised. So uh, we invite guests in from all over the country. Uh, This year we had some folks from New York, uh, Tennessee, California, Arkansas, Utah, and Pennsylvania uh, that all came here to Nebraska to to learn about the beef industry. And these people are are selected specifically uh, because of of their jobs and their ability to reach out to other people. So, uh, for instance, we had uh, dietitians, we had uh, food bloggers, we even had some folks from the Wendy's uh, Restaurant Corporation. Uh, so these people can take their experience here in Nebraska and go back and share it with their customers and their colleagues and uh, really help us spread the word of, of how beef is raised here in the United States. For this beef experience tour, where were the stops and what were they able to learn? 
Well, we really tried to give them a full experience of beef production from start to finish. And so uh, we visited uh, a ranch just outside of Fullerton called Peregrine Ranch. And Don Peregrine does a great job there uh, of uh, raising a cow-calf operation and really talking about those early stages of beef production. And then we moved on to a feed yard uh, in West Point. Uh, it's Kenobi Feed Yards. And there they really learned about the, the mass-scale feeding operations of, of uh, a feed yard and how those animals are cared for, uh, the feed that is used to get those animals up to market weight, and the efficiencies of, of feeding beef, specifically here in Nebraska, on, uh, on a grain and foliage diet. Uh, then we went on from there. Uh, we did stop at a grain uh, farm up at Lowski's in uh, Columbus. And there we really talked about planting corn and how we utilize uh, corn and grain for beef production and really talked about the, the cost to, to do that, but also the efficiencies when it comes to raising cattle. And then we ended the, the tour at a packing plant tour in uh, Schuyler at the Cargill plant. That's really an eye-opening experience for them to see, uh, you know, how uh, cattle are harvested and um, how it ends up being the box beef that they would see there at their operation. So, again, the idea was to show them from farm to fork uh, how beef is raised and to really give them that hands-on, first-hand look at, uh, at those operations. Sometimes it might be a little scary or nervous taking people who have not experienced the beef industry at all to a packing plant, to the farm and ranch, to know what their reactions are. But how well did the group take these different stops on the tour? Yeah, you're exactly right. It's, it's always a, um, a little nerve-wracking, but one of the things that's, uh, that we experience every year is that when people go into that packing plant, they have some preconceived notions of what they're going to see, but they walk away uh, really being amazed at how uh, humane, how efficient um, that that process really is, and, and how clean it is. Uh, that's another thing that we hear uh, time and time again. And uh, when they walk out of there, I think they're really encouraged uh, by the safety factors that are put into place to make sure that the beef products that we consume at home or at a restaurant are as safe as possible. And um, you know, Cargill does a great job. Uh, they harvest around 5,000 head a day out of that facility. So the scale of it is really amazing, uh, but the precision and the safety is always a, a key point that people take away. The Nebraska Beef Council has been hosting this beef experience tour for a couple of years now, as you have said. What have you seen as a result now that the longevity of this program, the responses that these key people have after they go home, and what have you heard thus far on that end? Well, one of the things that we're really impressed with is the connections that we maintain over the years. And so when these people come here, um, you know, there's uh, we usually get hugs from the attendees when they leave. Uh, that we've just really formed that, that kind of a connection with them. Uh, and they really appreciate getting that firsthand look at uh, beef production so that they can be knowledgeable when they're talking to their consumers, their other colleagues. Uh, one of the things that we really try to do is to target some of those folks who have a big online presence. I mentioned the bloggers earlier. Uh, so these bloggers are able to go online, uh, you know, uh, communicate with other consumers, answer questions uh, sort of on our behalf. And so we realize that as the beef industry, uh, we're, we're only, um, you know, we're only able to connect 
with so many people at a time. And uh, if we can arm others with the correct information, they can sort of be out there doing the work uh, for us, or at least on our behalf. And so uh, we're really starting to see that. And those those folks stay in contact with us whenever they have a question that they don't know the answer to. They know who to turn to for that answer. And that's us here at the Beef Industry, uh, the Beef Council. So uh, we're really encouraged by that. And as, as long as we keep arming those folks with uh, the right information, uh, they'll they'll continue to get out there and, and spread the the true uh, the true process for raising beef and, and the story that we want them to tell. Adam Wagner, he is the director of marketing at the Nebraska Beef Council, discussing the beef experience tour that they hosted a couple weeks ago. For the Roll Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. our closing livestock comments from Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities. Joe, it's been good to talk to you these last few days because each of these days cattle have been higher. Yeah, well, it certainly wasn't uh, up to me for the cattle to go higher. They, they do it uh, whether you you and I are talking or not. So, But it, it did work out that way, and hey, just followed through again today. Some uh, triple-digit gains once again uh, in the cattle. Uh, a lot of anticipation, uh, you know, the trade was a little bit weaker last week, but it, we're still discount to that by quite a bit. Show lists are a little bit smaller. The cutouts were back up again today. So there are some positive things to, to build on. The only thing kind of negative is the uh, box trade uh, and the boneless trade, uh, pretty light. But other than that, uh, uh, we continue to have the same things affecting the market still very volatile uh, and i don't expect that to go away uh anytime soon but uh pretty good positive start to the uh, to the week the hogs over there uh, once again kind of a mundane session we did finish mostly higher cash seemed to be uh, steady maybe just a little bit better cutouts at noon a little bit higher uh, light trade in the pork, uh, though, and uh, so that might be a little concern. We do have a cold storage report tonight, which would will be interesting for uh, both cattle and hogs. And then uh, later this week on Friday, we do have a cattle on feed report. So all of this uh, will play out during the week, but uh, look for continued uh, volatility throughout the week. That's Joe Teal with Great Plains Commodities. If you'd like to visit with Joe, 800-328-0134. This is the Rural Radio Network. Snow, rain, and cold weather didn't keep producers away from the Deb Fisher Ranch located just south of Valentine. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Saturday afternoon found folks sitting around a circle in her barn talking to Ag Secretary Sonny Purdue. Of course, trade brought up numerous times. Our concern for our producers, we talked about trade, uh, labor, and regulatory issues in the agricultural sector, and about the uh, uh, proposal and uh, getting American beef back into China. Uh, we know we're here in the, in the largest cow-calf county in the United States, and these, do, these folks do a great job. Uh, they produce it, and my goal is to sell it. So that's what we're going to do with Undersecretary of Trade. We're in China right now negotiating the details of that uh, agreement. It seems to be going well, but any kind of trade, it's not over until it's all signed and done. 
so we don't want to be too premature, but things seem to be going very, very well. We think the Chinese are very serious. The president had a very good conversation with President Xi. That began that 100-day deal between our two countries, and uh, we think uh, we think it will culminate in a great deal for U.S. beef producers. Producers across the Midwest are grateful for crop insurance, especially with the way Mother Nature has treated them this year. But could federal crop insurance manage an influx of requests should this spring continue like it has? Well, actually, I think the most of the data indicates it'll be down. There was, frankly, a, a lot of a great production year in 2016, as you know. We don't know what 17 is going to have. We've had floods, we've had fires, we've had other things. But I'm hoping it'll be a great year. But we can't continue to assume that we'll have record yields in that each and every year. So uh, uh, the crop insurance is a wonderful safety net program. We hope we'll see it continued, even enhanced in the 2018 Farm Bill to provide these producers uh, a safety net that they participate in buying crop insurance as an insurance product, not a handout, not a not a uh, uh, not a giveaway, but they produce they participate in that, and we hope that uh, we won't have to just like any insurance. I, I buy insurance on my house. And they do the same with their crop insurance. Well, the budget's going to come out this next week. Uh, there's some people that anticipate the crop insurance may be lowered. The fact is, crop insurance has been lowered over the time. Uh, Senator Fisher and her team, her, her colleagues, have uh, we're spending less in crop insurance than we did uh, a few years ago based on good production years. So uh, I'm confident that we will understand at the end of the day when the budget is signed that crop insurance is an integral part of the safety net for our producers out there. And as the secretary continues to get folks in place to help him run the USDA, I asked him if he had any frustration with the pace of making those official announcements. Nothing ever moves as fast as I like for it to. Uh, I didn't like sitting up there in the Senate for 100 days either, but uh, we got here. We got to know we, uh, each other. We were neighbors right. there for a while. Yeah. We, uh, we got, uh, we've got some good people we've recommended to the president uh, for his appointment. Uh, they're looking at those people now, and I think uh, I think American producers and uh, American consumers will be very pleased. Every organization, large and small, depends on the quality of its people. I'm the beneficiary of a great agency. Uh, the dedicated career of people in the USDA are wonderful, hardworking uh, people who want the best food on the table, and we're going to put leadership in those, uh, those areas to help guide that. Comments from Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Here on the Rural Radio Network, it's our closing grain market analysis with John Payne, senior market analyst at Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago, also the publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. So weather dominating the talk today, John. Uh, let's break down these commodities. What's going to be, uh, well, certainly the report out from USDA is going to be the talk now, right? Yeah, I think so. And then in pretty good price action today. Volume wasn't super high. Uh, well, I wouldn't worry too much about the sell-off we saw right before the close. I think, you know, producer selling, especially out your way, is, is going to be picking up on these rallies. Uh, it doesn't feel like it, but, you know, 375, 378, just show high corn price is relatively high compared to where we've traded the last six months. And I'm not sure if it's exactly the dollar being weaker or if it's actual, uh, you know, production that, that's got the market moving. If it's the dollar, I, I look for it to correct. But if it's a production side thing, I think we've got some more to go here. Well, we bounced off that resistance at least on December. How does July and December look as far as the resistance levels? Uh, 
well, you know, 395 looks to be the level, just like 380 front month. So if we get above that level, you know, it probably takes to that July, uh, above 380 probably takes December closer to 4, uh, 410, December 18. These are all prices that I think, you know, producers can't walk away from. If you haven't made any sales yet, if you haven't done any risk management, this is where you do it. Um, if you're wrong, you better hope you're, you do it light and you're early. It's not the worst thing in the world. If you're right, you probably didn't do enough of it. So that's always a good measure for me. Um, certainly understand that the production numbers need to, need to, you know, be there for guys to want to sell. But if you've got a lot of old crop still to move, uh, in my opinion, you go ahead and let it fly. I think there's, you know, the worst case scenario is you have a big crop this year and we're, we're selling that old crop at a, at, a, at a low. Now, I will say on the corn side, I mean, I, I made that mention last week. I made that drive from, from Chicago to Memphis. Uh, talked to producers all day, really, today, especially out east. They're, they're in trouble. They have, you know, guys thinking they've been doing 200 the last couple of years in Indiana. They're, they're looking at 150 best. Um, you know, acreage is light. There's spotty areas that don't, they won't grow at all. Uh, and, and, you know, it's cool and wet. And so, you know, the thoughts are, you know, they have plenty of time to get soybeans in, but I would imagine the shift towards beans is going to pick up here as we get into June. So um, I look for this market to really pick up as we get towards the end of June. That, that'll be a time for corn and wheat probably as well where you could see some, some big, big up pickup in price. How do we end up lower in the wheat? A drier forecasts or what happened? I, well, I, you know, I, I just think it's producer selling. Like I said, a lot of product out west. Uh, just as I went to the close there, I saw my, my platform light up a little bit with the elevators I work with who are selling on the close. So it's, you know, the, the wet weather out there is going to bring around the product. It's just how, what the quality is at this point. John Payne, Senior Market Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. For more, go to danielsagmarketing.com. That's our closing grain market analysis. I'm Joe Gangwish here on the Rural Radio Network.